Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is 24th. Hey guys, May. I'm Brittany Hughes. Oh, You're watching MRC. 2017. I got a four day weekend, so we're going to push this up. It's, it's not for the for, for, for Friday, free for all. It's just a podcast. Release it tonight instead of Friday. Get this. Um, no less than six Today's show, do a quick review on Twin Peaks, shop. Men in but Poetry. But because those nasty cool? women-hating Republicans are attacking no, abortion. No, we'll talk These about clinics it. are closing. Social media is ruining Why? society. Back before Obamacare, <laughs> most patients who primarily got, got their health care stuff on that one. And these are social media nuggets. Like so, wanted to start with a reality check from Brittany Hughes and MRC before we get into the big news of the week. This one kind of blew my mind. Versus healthcare services at very low rates, as crappy big government programs tend to do. Now, not only that, but many of these low-income women can now go to other non-planned parenthood clinics that accept Medicaid, which pro-life advocates have long argued is exactly what would happen if planned parenthood were to be shut down. Now, all of this brings up an interesting question. Planned Parenthood still claims that forcing even one of their clinics to close will keep countless poor women from obtaining life-saving health care services, services that supposedly prevent them from keeling over dead from cancer or STDs. Now, if this were true, if Planned Parenthood was truly the only possible health care provider for all of these women, then this organization should be leading the revolt against Obamacare for shutting down these six clinics. But they aren't. So I guess the claim that Planned Parenthood is essential to women only applies if a clinic closes because of safety laws passed by dirty, rotten, Bible-thumping conservatives, not, you know, havoc-wreaking liberal health care laws. And that's your reality check, America. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube page for more videos just like this one. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and stay sane out there. Research it, my friends. She's right. It, it, you know, you didn't hear that in your paper, though. You, you weren't briefed on that at all because we never hurt the left. But now we're talking about how Trump's about to kill Planned Parenthood. Within this podcast is more Cecil Richard lying. So thought I'd start with that before we get in the meat potatoes. Of course, there was the bombing, suicide. Terrorist scumbag bombing in Manchester. Woke up to it yesterday morning, uh, which was, of course, Tuesday, and was just shocked that they would trigger a device on little girls. But that, you know, I shouldn't be surprised. It is what ISIS is. They're a bunch of cowards. They don't want to directly combat soldiers. Um, let's be honest. The only way they've inflicted any pain on the U.S. forces is through IEDs because on a one-on-one fight, we kill them all because they're pieces of shit. By the end, Ariana Grande, who... There are people with terrible tweets and we'll read them. Um, you know, she brokenhearted, quit her tour. But you know people like Linda Salsar, we all need to love more. We need to intentionally put out more love. The world needs it. We need it. We need to hug them the fuck out. And here's Chris Hayes running his suck. And I, 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 I'm speechless. 
We should also say the context here, uh, which may or may not be germane, but just so folks know what's going on in the background, of course, uh, is an election. There's a political election coming up. We know that in France, uh, in the run-up to the election there, there was an attack, uh, I believe, uh, claimed by ISIS on the Champs-Élysées. Um, the timing, it seemed not coincidental to the election that's happening there. There is, a, They are gearing up for a big election in the U.K. right now. Yes, they are. And, uh, you know, whether this is part and parcel of that, we don't know. Whether it's simply uh, targeted toward, you know, a large, uh, very westernized venue, whether it's some sort of uh, attack geared toward, you know, a concert of people out and about, having a good time, listening to fun music. We've seen uh, attacks uh, that have been uh, used a wide variety of, of implements in, in, in various different settings. We had a a man, a ROTC uh, uh, officer, uh, stabbed here in the U.S. Uh, recently by someone who appears to be a white supremacist. We've had car attacks and truck attacks. Um, there is a logistical threshold to put together explosives like this. Am I right? You're absolutely correct. And we should be clear that, that, that uh, numerous violent attacks that have happened uh, in, uh, in Europe uh, have been French citizens, British citizens. Uh, and, in fact, there was uh, one example in Germany of essentially a framing uh, of ISIS, an attack on a soccer bus um, by, uh, by essentially a right-wing neo-Nazi. This has also happened in Europe uh, in, in the last several months. So we should just be careful about uh, attribution at this point, although obviously uh, there are certain patterns that it is very hard to... The general, we cannot call it what it is. WAPO in suburban Manchester searched for what might have motivated the attacker. A Libyan trained Al-Qaeda member. Then, the targeting of women and girls of Manchester may have been, may have been intentional. That's her second. And no fucking shit. The AP breaking Manchester police say man set off improvised explosive device at Ariana Grande concert. They just didn't want to call it Suicide Bomber. Newsweek brushes across it and said, we're really worried about Islamophobia. So, of course, did ABC News. Cosmo, Muslim taxi driver, took kids trying to escape the Manchester Arena Aria Grani concert home for free, but the problem is he's a sheik. He's not a Muslim, but they don't really know. And here's CNN, who basically said it's a right-wing false flag. Given the fact that, that, that they're looking into this real possibility, um, and there is, in, it would appear, some evidence that this was a suicide bombing, um, that certainly takes you down the Islamist terrorist um, direction. It must also be noted that in, in recent months uh, in Europe, there have been a number of false flag uh, plots where... Uh, right-wing extremists have tried to frame Islamists uh, for, uh, 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 for terrorism. We've seen that in Germany in recent weeks. But um, a suicide bomber really does take you down the direction of Islamists. Let that be on the airwaves for anybody else. Anybody else. And reverse it and say that's, that, that's okay, folks. It's a false flag. We need to worry about Islamophobia. I mean, it just keeps piling up. It keeps piling up. It never stops, but they cannot call it what it is. Katy Perry got in the celeb mode. Brokenhearted for the families tonight. Brokenhearted for Ari. Brokenhearted for the state of the world. 
And then I saw this tweet that said, no borders, barriers is a nice fantasy, but that's all it is. Unfortunately, we don't live in a utopia. There are people that want to hurt others. And it was a woman. And I was like, okay, what the hell? So it came literally, and I was going to play the soundbite, but I I don't want to play her. She was on iHeartRadio promoting her horrible album. And by the way, I watched her on SNL this weekend, and she is just ripping off Madonna, trying to Vogue, got the stage thing. Her music sucks. She can't sing for shit. How the fuck did Kate, other than her fake titties, how did she get where she is? I don't, I, I never understand, but this was her statement. I think that the greatest thing we can do is just unite and love on each other. And like, no barriers, no borders. Like... We all need to just coexist. You know, that makes a nice bumper sticker. But when there's lions at the gate, you fucking people are idiots. Brianna Wu, the menstrual free tampon lady, got to have menstrual, menstrual equality, which I didn't even know that was. When a man straps on a bomb of nails, goes to women concert to kill an audience of women and girls, it's safe to bet sexism is involved. Frankly, if you want to pretend that violence is not about the hatred of women, I think you've got some issues you need to work on Prato, The entire fucking world, including females, summed it up like this. Are you for real? Trying to tell that to families that have lost male members in this attack, stop making it something it's not. So sure, her plan was, it's sexism. We got, it, The left will never know how to deal with this. And I ask you all to go to my blog. I lost it. I won't reread it. I cursed. And I truly believe the resistance, the left, you're just like ISIS. That's why you can't call them bad people. You are so into their shtick of demeaning everybody and believing we all must live by one dogma. That's how the country's supposed to be. You defend them at every fucking moment. And how do I know how fucked up you are? Okay, here is one of my idols from childhood. Morrissey from the Smiths. A gay dude. Uber liberal. Bush Trump hater. Here's his statement. Because he's in Europe. And he knows how bad it is. Celebrating my birthday in Manchester, the news Manchester arena bomb broke. The anger is monumental. For what reason will this ever stop? Theresa May says such attacks will not break us, but her own life has lived in a bulletproof bubble, and she evidently doesn't does not need to identify any young people today in Manchester morgues. Also, will not break us means that the tragedy will not break her or police or immigration. The young people in Manchester are already broken, thanks to all the same Theresa. Thanks all the same, Theresa. Sadiq Khan says London is united with Manchester, but he does not condemn Islamic State who have claimed responsibility for the bomb. The Queen received observed praise for her strong words against the attack, yet she does not cancel today's garden party at Buckingham Palace, for which no criticism is allowed in the Britain press. Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham says attacks the workers of an extremist. An extreme what? An extreme rabbit? In modern Britain, everyone seems petrified to officially say what we are all saying private. Private. Politicians tell us they are unafraid, but they are never the victims. How easy to be unafraid when one is protected from the line of fire. The people have no such protections.
And why does he say that? There are 3,500 suspects just in the UK alone that they have to monitor. 3,500 terrorists. 400 of them ISIS-trained fighters from Iraq and Syria. We don't even know how many we have in our country. Because we're doing fucking Russia, Russia, Russia. And not worrying about the fact that this would be very easy to do. Bridgestone Arena, Nashville, just left it three weeks ago for a concert. Thousands of people walking out one door. Security ends at the curb. Anybody can walk in. Backpacks everywhere. We've had airplane, airport guys go into the baggage claim. You don't get screened to go to the baggage claim. You just walk the fuck in. With a backpack. This is going to come to us. Whether you want to believe it or not. I mean, since this, Morawi, Morawi, sorry, in the Philippines, ISIS-affiliated terrorists reportedly beheads police chief, takes hostages at a church. It's everywhere. It's here. It's England, Paris, Middle East, Asia. The only states that are having the problem with this are Russia and fucking China who just kills them. Well, we don't, we don't know they have it because they don't report it, but. And of course, Trump decried that them terrorist losers. All right. David Korn, does Trump really think calling terrorists murderers losers means anything? And the whole left, the whole left lost their fucking minds over losers and it doesn't matter. And you got, well, in our hypocrisy section, all they're worried about is why didn't he strike back at fucking Israel and he's a moron and ah, la, 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 la. Well, Obama called him the JV team. That's all I got to say. Mike Drockmonet, shut the fuck up. Your president couldn't even identify the threat after eight fucking years. And yes, boys and girls, he has just as much responsibility as George Bush does because he's the one that turned the fucking lights off and left Iraq a hot, steaming fucking mess. He's the one that helped undermine Libya and Syria and the Egypt Spring and sat on the sidelines after he red fucking lined. Read my blog. Read it and tell me I'm lying. It's all true. The same guy that would whack entire villages in Pakistan going after one terrorist to say he had a body count. Let this festering boil turn into a goddamn tumor on the world. Because he was against war. War is bad. Dysfunctional veteran is our tweet of the day. I saw this and was like, wow, he's right. We all know the protocol by now. This has nothing to do with Islam. The guy was mentally a lone wolf. Those who object to point one and two are racist bigots. Change Facebook profile, the flag of inflicted country. Light some candles, hold a vigil, and go on a peace march. Wait for the next slider to happen. Repeat. It's kind of like a broken record being played over and over again. Hey, tweet of the day!
start with William Shatner, which I'm really surprised about because he says, Welcome to social media, home of the snowflakes, quickly offended, and social justice warriors. Somebody responded, what's wrong with someone who sees injustice and wants to fight it? Nothing, but mostly you find that SJWs have an agenda of hate where no injustice actually occurs. And I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah, you go, chat. In the case for impeaching Trump and fast, this is the exact situation impeachment was meant for. Let's hurry up. I was going to dr- read the whole thing. This is a probably 10-page article on Vox, and it ends with a fast, decisive break from Trump is extremely unlikely at this point, but a slow, ugly, painful divorce only means that Trump's sins will more and more become the sins of the entire party. An impeachment will look less and less of an appropriate remedy for wrongdoing than can only be redeemed by a broad and deep electoral landslide. On our media right now, he's already impeached. The media is already saying, I heard Chris Stirewall, a little fucking twat over on Fox News that gets on my job Gibson show occasionally. And it's already done. The House is Democratic, the Senate's going to be Democratic, and the President's going to be Democratic in 2020. They've already decided, just like they did with Hillary Clinton, that it's a done deal. So remember all you flyover people, don't vote. You don't need to vote. Chris Stirewall, all the CNN crew. They've made the decision for you. Jim Roberts, Roberts, Trump demonizes Iran at a very moment its people reaffirm the desire to, for moderate leadership. That's what he said. I torched his dumb ass with, you know, I love watching you people tweet this that know nothing about it because I got a lot of friends that died at the hands of IEDs from Iran. You fucking twats. Notre Dame students who protested Pence, we wanted to protect human dignity. They are being lauded all over the place, and Brooke Baldwin, that slut over on CNN, sure, Brooke, thank you so much for us, for having us. We felt the need to walk out because we wanted to stand here to protect human dignity. We wanted to be in solidarity with those that are most vulnerable of us and also to seek justice for them. At no time in this interview did Brooke Baldwin ask, what the fuck are you talking about? What has Trump done as an injustice? Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. To my motherfucker of the day, as reports came out, David Levitt, and he's affiliated with CBS, Multiple confirmed fatalities at Manchester Arena. The last time I listened to Ariana Grande, I almost died too. Motherfucker. 
I'm so angry about it, I couldn't even say anything. I just let Samuel L. Jackson do it. Checked my phone and got this message for Twitter. Try swearing at me now. He even joked. He muted the tweet and talked shit. And I, I, I don't even know how to associate people like this. How do you make jokes about eight-year-old girls getting killed? But that's the liberal mind. David Frum, as we mourn Manchester, remember for a moment of ignorant boasting, the president betrayed one of the West's best sources inside ISIS. That's a lie. He got nuked. Representative Trent Franks, my heart is breaking of the victims and the families of Manchester. I can't imagine the pain of losing a child. You want to know where this comes? Oh, because Paul Ryan said, young innocent lives lost Manchester tonight, praying for the victims and their families. I'm not going to read the filth that comes off this. Both of those gentlemen got nuked forever for the Affordable or American Health Care Act. Mourn for them, but what about all of us dying? What about the abortions that aren't going to happen? That's the liberal mind. Sick, twisted, impossible of proper decorum. It's just like when Reagan died. I didn't have a podcast, but I was disgusted. I didn't go on the internet for two months. Liberals were jerking off to his death. You're fucking sick. And then Ted Lou, trying to make a name for himself in the resistance, he tweeted and was retweeted 13,000 times by the sick cult over there on the left. I'm on the House Judiciary Committee. This is what I'm going to read tonight. Meth- the Articles of Impeachment. Th- they really believe they're going to impeach Trump. But there's nothing to impeach. Nothing. Nothing. You have nothing. Clinton had more. He didn't get impeached. Trump has nothing. And as we see in our hypocrisy, Dana Bash on CNN fucked up this week. Because it's just not the Democrats participating in this. I'm not tinfoil hatman. But there's a lot of intel people who are releasing a lot of shit because of Trump's stupid statements that started a war with them. So up until this point, if you said the deep state, you are Alex Jones over on InfoWars. Listen to what Dana Bash said. Explosive, so incredibly serious. And the Times report also says that uh, James Comey created similar memos after the other meetings that he had with the president. So this could be just the tip of the iceberg, maybe the most explosive, but it was, it's very clear that, that James Comey wanted to get out there, that this happened, uh, created this paper trail, uh, real time, contemporaneous, contemporaneously rather, in order to protect himself from exactly what happened last week. Him being fired, him being blamed, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, wanting to know that he has sort of the information at his disposal if, in fact, this happened. And if you just take a step back, Wolf, just in the past 24 hours, right or wrong, what this president has done in his first 100-plus days, even before he came into office, is pick fights with the intelligence community and now the law enforcement community particularly the way, never mind that he fired James Comey, but the way in which he did it, not giving him the respect of actually telling him in person or at least not having him find out from cable news. And so we know that this is, you know, they talk about the deep state. Well, this, these are communities 
that are that have a lot of loyalty within and know how to get back even if you're the president of the united states and the fact is that when the intelligence community found out about the conversation that the president had with the russians uh... talking about classified information we don't know all the details we are told that it wasn't as uh... as 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 bad as it, it might have seen initially that's what the white house sources are saying but still the intelligence community leaked that out now we know that the fbi director was keeping notes on some on many things but the fact that this is the first one that he made clear and made public and is so incredibly explosive as jeff said is the clearest most dangerous sign yet of a potential obstruction of justice makes you think what else is going to happen and it would be very hard for republicans who have in the past twenty four hours been more aggressively critical against the president begging for a crisis free day or a crisis free hour uh... very hard for them not to take this incredibly seriously now i play that because i want you to go back to january or june july august september october november december january do you remember that how unprofessional it was that the FBI was, they're just a bunch of conservatives. They're tools of the GOP. Now we actually have proof, proof that more of them are doing it for the left. And the media and the Democrats said that was fucking horrible. But now it's okey mother frickin' dokey for them to work against the President of the United States. Remember, this is the benchmark. I keep saying benchmarks because I don't think anybody on the resistance and the media understands. You are setting the benchmark. When it happens again, shut the fuck up. Shut your fucking cock trap. Because you're saying it's okay now. I'm an independent. I'm, I'm watching and I'm not a sheep. You can't say shit when the next Dem gets in there right out of the gate. Some intelligent community goes after them. Our media mass for the day... Reagan's son, real Americans support impeachment. Andrea Mitchell, oh, I can't believe he didn't, he was nice to Israel. He should have fucked him over because they said something bad about Obama. Matt Lauer, House of Cards is tame compared to Trump White House. Oh, no shit, he did say it. I think we're in a, in a state of crisis. You know, we have the, the Russian collusion, the Russian, uh, you know, tapping into the uh, our democratic systems is a serious problem. But we sort of got a handle on that. I mean, we know what happened there and we know who did it. But the other part, the linked part of that crisis is Donald Trump himself. This is a dangerously, emotionally and, and mentally unstable individual here who is wholly ignorant about how you you know perform as as president of the United States and I think I've been watching from abroad for the last last month here I just got home a couple of days ago but I think I've sensed a change in the coverage now I think people are finally starting to come to grips as we must come to grips with the notion that we have a dangerous individual in the Oval Office who, who is a national security threat and he needs to be removed from office uh, that's easy to say, but but he need, he's well, unfit and he needs to be removed. And I wish the Republicans on the moderate right and the far, not the far, moderate and, and centrist right would say, he's our problem too. But they're, why are they not talking? Well, listen, Chris, when the history books are written about this period, and they will be, there are only going to be two sides. 
They're going to be patriots and they're going to be partisans. They're going to be true Americans and there are going to be people who are engaged in behavior, and I would, I would throw Donald Trump into this category, engage in behavior that can only be described as treasonable. It's not treason technically in the legal sense, but it is treasonable. Uh, they are taking Russia's side over over the United okay. States of America. Russia attacked us. What was Trump doing meeting those people in the Oval Office and bragging about anything to them? I know. You know, the, the, the pictures were, were absurd. He looked like some kid who just was a new kid in school and sucking Thank up you. to the, you know, the cool we don't kids. Have an, uh, Ron, we don't have enough of you, sir. Thank you. Please come on again quickly. Thank <laughs> you, Ron best. Reagan. The Palestinian aspirations and the Palestinian needs are not going to be addressed at all by the White House, and there won't be any pressure on Israel or there will be a lot less pressure, I should say, on Israel to address the needs of the Palestinians. Prime Minister Netanyahu was so confrontational in his remarks. He took a real slap at Barack Obama by saying that he was congratulating, praising President Trump for his new policy on Iran, for his retaliation against Assad on chemicals, something that, uh, as we know, President Obama did not do, and for, quote, reasserting American leadership, U.S. leadership in the Middle East. So that was a, a triple slam against former President Obama. You don't usually hear that from a foreign. Did you ever imagine that there would come a time in real life politics that would make the plot lines of your show seem tame? Actually, no, I don't think they seem tame. I actually think that, that maybe a couple of seasons ago, even at the end of last season, there might have been some things that we did where people thought, well, that's just crazy. That couldn't possibly happen. And now? Office. And now, 18 months later, I think people are are feeling like, wow, it is possible. My favorite's the last one. Okay, you, you expect Mitchell. You just expect Mitchell. Okay. It, it, she is a uber liberal, doesn't give a fuck. She's so old, she can't even regulate that she looks like that. Reagan's son's a fucking moron. And anybody who's going to say real Americans don't know what real Americans think because real Americans think all sorts of shit. But did you hear Spacey's response? Even Spacey knew that Lauer was like, holy fuck, I can't believe you just said that. And he doesn't like Trump. But he's not stupid and realize his show has probably more conservatives watching than liberals. I don't know a conservative that doesn't watch it. Marchers demand 15 minimum wage. This time it was beautiful. It was the McDonald's motherfuckers. Mixing it with BLM, mixing it with the Women's March, and they all want $15 an hour, free college, immigrant rights, and freedom from hate, fascism, and save the planet. It was all wrapped up in one day of protesting. I went through all the pictures, and they're all gingerist. I just made that up because they're stomping on Ronald McDonald. And my favorite tweet was this. This, this is how this argument's never going to win because Seattle's already backing off. Everybody's backing off because they realize it fucked everything up. We're out here for our rights and freedom. It's time to wake up. It's time to take down McDonald's and Trump. <laughs> Wait, does Trump own McDonald's, you fucking idiot? Another hypocrisy was Dems. And dig this. They want voter ID now. Bernie backers enraged over loss of CA, California, Dem party chair race, claim votes were cast without IDs. All the conservatives tweeting back, Jeff B, if only there was some sort of policy out there that could be avoid this situation. Bill Toulouse, I can't keep up. 
Are we supposed to want or not want voters to have ID? And they basically go down that they believe this whole thing was stuffed and rigged and everything, just like before. So somebody brings out, are, are Bernie voters fucking racist? Those Bernie backers must try to suppress minority votes. <laughs> you freaking hypocrites. Do you ever even know where you're going? And, and you know, one of the funny things is I heard somebody talking the other day, and I... I I think the Dems have misread the Bernie people. I don't think they understand how bad it is with them. And they're the ones that are going to rip up. The resistance is cool on Twitter and Facebook and for kids. And yeah, they turn out big marches. Well, they did. Now they don't. It's already losing steam. But the fact is, those Bernie people, they're going to primary the fuck out of some people. You watch. Lastly, Cecile Richard... Fact, President Trump's budget would cut Planned Parenthood out of all federal programs. No president has ever tried to do this. A woman replies, excellent. Pay for your own baby parts distribution service, lobbying and contributions to Democrats. And it's spot on. Spot on. Oh, they're fucking idiots. You know what the funniest thing is? They're still, when they're not talking about Russia, they're talking about his budget. No presidential, but and I'm going to cover it. He's talking about rolling back some vet benefits. It's not specified to try to pay for other shit. But at the end of the day, my friends, none of that ever gets through. Obama had some crazy ones too. Stats of the day, CIA Director Brenner testified on Tuesday. CNN was just jerking off to this. Russia brazenly interfered in our 2016 presidential election process. Instapundit nailed it. Where was President Obama? Golfing? Displaying more flexibility? But I put it in our stats, because after he went on a long tirade and all the media said, this is impeachable, this is impeachable, he closed with, there's no proof. We saw people from his campaign talking. We didn't know what they were talking about, but there was no proof. There's still no proof. Every fucking person on Sunday was asked the question, is there proof? They all said, no proof. There's no proof. We are now at the end of May, friends. The investigated st- investigation started in June. One year. Nothing. And I got excited with John Gibson. He had an interesting section this week. It's our eye on the terrorist ball. Or all our security the deep state just going after Trump. Are we paying attention? And I know they can multitask. I know there's thousands of people doing a thousand jobs. But when the head of every goddamn security is only going to, to, to congressional meetings and coming up dry with nothing, and the media is trying to drum it's already over, he's been impeached, it makes me wonder what's going to happen. Because you know what's going to happen. One attack, it's Trump's fault. That's what they're going to say. Even though Obama had what? Half dozen? Lone wolves? Workplace violence ones? Guaranteed they'll be labeled what? Terrorism now. Fucking idiots. I haven't done a shout out forever, but we broke the 4,900 plateau on our, our podcast. I'm hoping... 
that uh, by next Monday we're going to hit the 5,000 and I'm going to freak the hell out. Um, you know, granted, we're getting – we used to have 50 per day and it's kind of gone down. I think I've been putting out too much stuff and maybe I should pull it back. I bought some sound dampening material so you don't hear birds anymore. But keep listening, friends. Pass it to your friends. I'd like to get them – the listenership back up to that 50 per day that or 50 per podcast. That was pretty cool. It was an exciting times. And while I was looking at all this, I want to give a shout out to Germany, the Netherlands, and Marshall Island. Anybody over there listening to me, please send an email to foppodcast at gmail.com. F-O-P-P-O-D. C-A-S-T at gmail.com or go to the FOP podcast, same spelling, dot com website. Send me an email. I'd love to meet you. Um, I, I think I know who Germany is because I have some buddies from the army that are still living there. But Netherlands, which I am actually Norwegian for my heritage, and the Marshall Islands, i love to hear how you found the show. So I want to give a shout out to those individuals. It won't show me who listened because I can't go deep dive on everybody that's listening. But I did see those and I I was tickled. So thank you all in the United States. I mean, there's most of you are from the United States. But when I see a foreign listener, hey, that's really cool. That means a lot. And and I hope I'm at least entertaining. I know I curse a lot, but I I get fired up. So we're going to go into music break. We're going to play the Twin Peaks soundtrack, something I used to love back in the day. And we're going to do a quick uh, teaser on the other side of this new season, read a basic review, and let me just kind of speak on it because I watched the first two episodes um, of this. And i got to be quite honest. It, it Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. You're the podcast man. Sing us a song tonight. Well, we're all in the mood for a melody. And you've got us feeling all Location sometimes becomes a character. There's a lot of holy places up here, a lot of sacred places. I can't put my finger on how I would describe it. It just touches something in the psyche. It's almost like being in a moving painting. Okay, Twin Peaks to me, back in the day, always brings out sadness. And here's the reason why. I was in Korea. I deployed in 1990, uh, patrolled the DMZ, and was coming home Thanksgiving, or coming home before Christmas in uh, 1991. And of course, during 1991, the Gulf War started. So Thanksgiving Day, I'm in a Quonset hut. With my testicles on ice, uh, my 
wife and I decided we, we were done with kids and, and we went and I saw a doctor, which to be quite honest was the most difficult things we've ever done because, you know, at 23, they, they don't give you vasectomies. And so I'm sitting there in this little Quonset hut watching TV. I had just put up my 12 inch Christmas tree that my wife had sent me in a care package and ate my Thanksgiving dinner, but I wasn't that down because I was going home. And as I got back, sat down, getting ready for a good night's sleep because we were, we were off. We were in training phase. And the TV said we're all stuck forever. So I stayed there until May and then got to go home. So I missed the entire freaking Twin Peaks thing. It was a huge thing back then. Everybody was talking about it. It was like the first weird ass show that broke boundaries and the whole world watched it. I mean, it was just like, you know, what we go through now every time 13 reasons, you know, freaking, uh, God dang house of cards, all these huge fads that just kick in. So when this came out, I was really super excited. I had shut off my showtime. The only thing we watched over there was uh, Homeland, and it got boring, so me and the wife kind of said, screw it, and shut it off. We turned it back on. We taped it. We ran home Monday after my podcast, and we watched it and went, what the fuck over? So, Twin Peaks and Old Log, Log learned some new tricks. Article by James Poynton-Wamowski on May 21st. One of the creepiest images in the new Twin Peaks is a glass box ensconced by a window in New York City, which is kept under constant observation in case something comes through it. Not such a spoiler alert. Something does. Twin Peaks, returning 27 years of its debut, is no longer brand new under the sun, but it's a familiar, inscrutable first two hours shown Sunday night on Showtime. It still has the ability to turn your TV into that box, a quietly menacing portal to which something horrifying or wondrous might burst out at any moment. Broad Stokes, FBI agent Dale Cooper, Kyle McLaughlin, remains where the series left him, in the Black Lodge, the red curtain lobby of the netherworld, where he's been trapped for 25 years. But there's a lot left hanging in this far-flung narrative, including a briefly introduction thread in Las Vegas, and everywhere, and all over the place, and I don't want to ruin it, and blah, blah, blah. There's shades of Lost, Especially when it eventually fills the murderous apparition. There's a little thought of Fargo you feel. Because you go to, like, I think, where the hell were we? I think it was North Dakota. It is just weird. But the next article kind of breaks it down. The return is for fans of David Lynch, not Twin Peaks. The original series was a television series, and yes, those who prosthesize about modern, more intellectually assertive shows being serialized movies rather than TV shows are annoying and usually wrong. But if there was ever time to make that claim, the premiere of this show would be it. David Lynch and his co-creator Mark Frost first delivered the show as a bulging 400-page script. It was whittled down into 18-hour-long chunks. More importantly... Twin Peaks The Return does not feel like a TV show, not the original show it follows, nor anything since it. It feels a lot like a very long David Lynch movie, or perhaps a few of them filleted out and intermingled. Moreover, Twin Peaks The Return is a show that Twin Peaks fan of mixed to negative feelings about David Lynch's deeper filmography may well not like. And I have to tell you, by the end of that two hours, what I said 
before I brought it in is what I found out. Wow. What the fuck was that? For two hours, we stared at our TV. We didn't put our plates away from dinner. We left them on the TV trays and just went, what the fuck am I watching? What the fuck is this? And repetitively used the word, what the fuck? What? I was crushed. I was super psyched to see this show because this show was the show I missed and yada, yada, yada. But I got to be honest. I don't know what it is. I mean, there are so many storylines. You're just like, where the fuck are we at? I mean, really? So I don't know. If you're into weird shit where you just stare at your TV and go, what the hell? I mean, we're not even talking the the leftovers. That show sometimes, like the one this, that anybody's into it, I watched the one about Australia and when they got on the ship. I have all the shows together so we can rewatch it this is the last year. And there's times I've wept in that show, especially with the sheriff and his depression. But I watched a show the other day about some freaking lion, Frazier, and it was a fuck club, and everybody's fucking, and if you say his name after midnight, you're raped by a bunch of fat women, and people getting thrown off the boat, Not what the fuck? It didn't even remotely move the plot. The plot went nowhere. We just know they're looking for the sheriff, and he's in Melbourne, and we're on a boat, and everybody's fucking weird as shit. And they're all fucking. And the interesting thing, I, I've noticed this on a couple shows lately. Um, with all this PC shit, you may see some breasts or a naked buttock. But you're seeing full sausage nowadays. I mean, we're talking full sausage. And I'm not homophobic, so it's like it bothers me. I'm just like, what the fuck? You can show that, but you can't show a vagina on TV. I, I watched this, uh, one of those crazy shows my wife watched, The Real Housewives of fucking Des Moines, Iowa, or one of them freaking things. It was called Southern Charm. They blurred out the nipples of one of the sluts on the show, but they showed full ass of a man walking around his apartment. And I asked the wife, well, what's that? I mean, if you can't show a nipple through a t-shirt that's wet how can you show ass crack but watching the leftovers and watching you know this this um twin peaks you know i did see a naked butt once of a girl but you were seeing meat plows they're everywhere and i was like okay how when do we make that change that um we need more twig and berry on the tv when did that come out and who made that decision? I mean, I'm not saying we need to be graphic with, you know, the the full Montes, but if you can show, once again, the sheriff, then why can't you show the deputy? I don't know if that analogy actually worked, because I'm kind of going off the shaking hands with the sheriff concept for anybody who's asking where that came from. But I was just kind of in shock. But anyway, here's a play. These are eight facts you need to know for anybody that hasn't watched. And I just recommend don't. 
Just don't. This show is fucking weird. The role of Cooper was pretty much on the page, all there. David and Mark Frost had written uh, just a wonderfully complex, quirky, eccentric character. This must be where pies go when they die. Cooper is my favorite character that I've ever played. He's got a complexity to him and a way of looking at the world that I can understand and relate to. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every day, once a day, give yourself a present. He's, you know, powerful without having to demonstrate it. You know, he's, he's compassionate. He's got tremendous empathy. He's incredibly smart. All those things that I am, of course. keep reviewing as it goes along because we're going to finish it just to do it but if you haven't watched it i don't know all i can recommend is if you're a drug person use some drugs and watch it maybe it makes sense because i i didn't get it i had a cute bumper for segment two but i'm just going to keep it off from the art of manliness is an article be a man read a poem and before I go into it, I thought of this this week. I write poetry. I know there's other guys that write poetry or lyrics or whatever. And I kind of wondered, is that manly? Because I, I wrote a poem for my wife on one of her anniversaries. And I'll, I'm going to read it on the show and go out on the limb and then get whacked, you know, for being a weirdo. But we had a special kiss that we remember from our youth. It's right after we got engaged. And I can see it like it was yesterday. And even though it was 31 years ago, I, I still grap- grapple to articulate how I envision that. And so I put it on paper. And I wrote this poem. And my wife cried. She loved it. And she kept it. And she thought it was beautiful. And she said, you did capture it. So it, it made me question my, my manliness. It's like, is this weird? Because I've always kind of been into poetry. I always had a little thing for Shakespeare, you know, which I know is not poetry, but it's definitely fancy wording of stuff. And anyway, I thought it'd be an interesting segment. The word spawns images of dark coffee houses, bongos, berets, women with black hair and clothes, and feeling best, feelings best kept private. The word is a stigma in these days. Poetry is for angst-filled teens and Hallmark cards. Today, poetry seems to be the antithesis of manly. But it wasn't always so. Poetry has been written and read by men for generations, reaching back to thousands of years to the ancient Greeks, Sumerians, and even the ancient oral traditions. Poetry used to be read and recited, excuse me, read and recited around a fireplace or in a cafe as a form of entertainment. Teddy Roosevelt, an epitome of manliness, loved poetry, and as president gave government jobs to poets on the condition they do nothing but write new poems. In the past, poetry is part of the gentleman's formal education. Today we're taught poetry in school, but because it's forced on us, we reject it. We claim poetry is not for us men, because poetry is emotional, and as men, we're told from a very young age that emotions are not for us. Because of this, poetry can be difficult to approach for the modern man. Besides, we have other forms of entertainment that are more accessible, like porn. No, I was joking. Uh, football. 
was really actually what I'd say. Somewhere in the past century, our society has changed. Television, it seems, has taken poetry's place. We as a society no longer need a bard to recite lyrics to us to keep us entertained. We have televisions and movies, and when we want to read, there are always novels and short stories, magazines, newspapers. So poetry has lost its place in the world, and because of that, we've forgotten about it. But maybe the gentlemen of the past knew something we don't. Maybe they, they read poetry not only because they didn't have television, but also because it did something for them. Because poetry isn't only about flowers and rainbows. Poetry is about war, friendship, nature, spirituality, and everything a boy needs to know about being a well-rounded rounded man. What poetry can do for you, or why should I read this stuff? Our society is built upon the past. Western traditions are the foundation of our daily lives, even if we don't always know it. Reading poetry, especially old poetry, can help a modern man better engage the world around him. And the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations, the three most frequented quotes, quoted writers in the English language are Shakespeare, Lord Tennyson, and Alexander Pope. You also find references to poems and books and films and other media. Oh, brother, where art thou is a good example. The movie was based off a Homer epic poem, The Odyssey. James Joyce's masterpiece, Ulysses, one of the most prominent books in the last century, was also based on a Homer epic. By engaging in poetry, then, what you're doing is educating yourself about the traditions of men that came before you. Reading it will help the modern man see connection to the past and our present culture. I'm going to skip along. <clears throat> Some poets you should try. Homer, Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe, Alfred Lord Tennyson, Rudyard Kimpley. Ernest Hemingway, Ezra Pound, William Blake, Alexander Pope, and Robert Frost. I think, personally, um, for me, it's a cathartic thing. Sometimes, when life is sucked, I put it into words. I have written it down, and somehow it made me feel better. An example is one that I was bold enough to put years ago on Facebook and people wanted, to, wanted me to make a song out of it. I don't know, but it, um, I called it Dreams. I have fought against the inevitable and raged against the future. I have rubbed a hole in my soul that has bloodied me to the core. In the end, as I have grown weary, I found the fight was in vain. For the path was always leading this way. So I relented in my quest to stop the future embraced the inevitable, and found peace in the destruction of all my dreams. That sounds very angst-ridden and written like a teenager, but at the time, I was going through some bad shit. And somehow that made me feel better to articulate how the shit was bad, even in private. Sometimes I put it down to paper. My blog right now, which is not poetry, has been a great source of anger. Instead of going on Facebook and lashing out at the masses, lately I have chucked out these blogs, which I hate to keep plugging the blog, but I just did one about all this crap going on. And in it, words came out that were stuck inside that was making me angry about what I see in our country and how I do just look at the resistance, not all people against Trump, 
not everybody who protests, but the, the deep, dark people out there like the media who, regardless of what happens, are always going to dog this guy. And I thought they're just as destructive as ISIS is to me. They're the same. And, you know, it worked. I puked it out, put it in a blog. Man, my day improved because I was really pissed off. I was really, really angry at that time. So I went to Man Lim and Delay, M-A-N-L-I-M-A-N-D-I-L-A-Y.com. Five poems every man should know and reference. All right. Invictus was one of it, which I'm not going to read. Nomadic Last, Pioneers of Pioneers. It's Walt Whitman's Great Ode to Swelling Spirit. But I'm going to read The Man in the Arena. This one has always stuck with me. It's not a poem per se, but still a masculine passage has served me many folds as a result of committing it to memory. It's often referred to as The Man in the Arena. It was taken from Theodore Roosevelt's speech. And it goes a little something like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end of a triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I love that. That is just freaking well-written shit right there. Because it pretty much sums up every generation. You have people that would rather stand on the sideline and run their cock trap than actually get out there and do something. And I think it's an ode to manhood, womanhood, personhood. You gotta try. Life is failure. We learn from failing. We don't learn shit by winning. I'm sure if you ask Michael Jordan, he didn't lose, lose, learn anything until the end. When the skills weren't there, and it just didn't work. And he learned a lot about himself. When he was just freaking tearing up everybody just like lebron james right now um boom brett Favre probably learned more in those seasons that he sucked buttermilk and threw more interceptions than ever aaron Rodgers learned a lot on the sideline in that first four and 12 season we learn from failure so to end this segment because i do believe it's very important that's the summation that's the reason why i had it it's poorly executed because the articles are way too long and i'm trying not to read ten thousand things to people i think it is manly i think it's important to write words to write prose to write your thoughts to articulate in a way i think it's a way of a man who can't really show his emotion to show his emotion without showing it on his face i after 20 years in the army don't give a fuck anymore I was an alpha. I stayed an alpha until about 2010. For the last seven years, I've slowly chipped away the facade that was my manliness or what I thought manliness was. And I don't give two shits if I cry. I don't give two shits if I get moved by something. 
I watched a segment the other day of the birth of a dog. I got teary-eyed. It was beautiful the way they shot it. That's probably what a dog saw. And my wife looked over at me and she had tears in her eyes. And she smiled at me. She didn't think less of me. But all those years, I'd put that behind the wall. Man, that shit ain't coming out. I can't mourn people's deaths. I can't do anything. I gotta be harder than woodpecker lips. And the reality is, it doesn't make me less of a man just because I show emotion or I care or I feel. It's part of human. It's part of humanity. That's who we are. And I think for the longest generations of men growing up, my grandfather, great grandfather, my father, my stepfather, well, not my father, the, the sperm donor, and then my father who raised me, they showed nothing. And what did it get them? Bitter. I think some of my bitterness and some of my anger was not showing feelings. It just built up till it could be held no more and then it swelled out. And you know what? I felt better once it came out. A lot better. So here is my poem to my wife trying to capture a moment in time that I swear someday we'll do a picture with this. We'll get some asshole to take a picture on a ladder and have a fan and have them throw leaves at us. Because this is a romantic moment that we've talked about for 30 years of marriage. And I took a stab at it. I don't think it fully sums up what we felt, but here it goes. The kiss. The stars were so bright that night, they drowned out the moon. The wind was crisper than before as the leaves flew. The area was overflowing with warm light as the street lights tried to bring day to night. I remember your hand, so soft in mine. I remember the smell of your perfume, your blue eyes, your beautiful face. How I relished in the vision of you. The night was ending and you had to go. Thus I made us walk so slow. We turned to face for one more kiss. And already uh, it was you I missed. Our lips touch and it froze time. The lights, the leaves, the cold wind enveloped my mind. As we parted with loving smiles, I knew this kiss would travel through the t time. Though now we are both old and gray, I think of that kiss every day. It was a kiss from our youth, a kiss from you and me, and that beautiful moment made us we. Each night I still hold that soft hand, and we face for one more kiss to end the day. We wish each other sweet dreams and words of love, we say. Till tomorrow, my love. Hurry, sunrise. I need her one more day. So that's my stab at poetry. I used to be a lot better in my youth, I guess, before I got hardcore. <laughs> but I think it's important to do it. So take a pen, do some prose, write out your feelings sometime. You don't have to read it on a podcast, but it does you good. There's some cathar It's just cathartic to articulate a moment, a feeling, an anger, and nobody has to know. Just the piece of paper or the Word document you're typing in. To our next segment, which we'll lead into with one of my favorite Dave Chappelle segments. Excuse me, miss. Um, where am I? Oh, the internet. Do you know I can find a new site? Oh, it's down there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
Hey, buddy. Buddy. Buddy, 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 buddy. Hey, buddy. Buddy, buddy, buddy. And may I know you? It's me, buddy. I have something really important I need to talk to you about. What's going on? One increase the size of your penis up to four inches in a month, bro. And fat, too. Nah, man, I'm cool. It's all natural, dude. My friend's a doctor. Hey, brother, I'm a doctor. You're a doctor. Fucking right, I'm a doctor. I use myself. I don't need no penis pills. Hey, these are not pills. This is a sad, a cream. You massage and add to the skin. And oh, come on, sir. Whoa, I'm sorry for bothering you, but I like that song. You know I can get some music around here? Or... Oh, yeah. You can get it right there. Oh. Or you can get it right there. Hey, Ron. Oh, want to see me have sex? Nah, I'm cool. Want to see Paris Hilton have sex with her boyfriend? Yes, I would. Come on. All right. <laughs> Why don't you turn down your face that way? You can see that pretty dark. <laughs> I don't know if that was her, man. She's a little grainy. That night vision, you can't really tell. I got to see that one more time, man. Let me just see one more time. Let's go. You know what, buddy? Why don't you just hold this? I'll go in there and check it out, and then I'll be right back out. Uh -huh. All right? Hey. Why don't you turn down your face that way? You can see how pretty you are. That was her, all right. <laughs> Play the cell. You sure you don't want to see me have sex? Yeah, I'm absolutely sure, man. I just want to get to score to the next game. Thanks. All right? <laughs> I do a great doggy style. I know, Ron. Okay? I got my stroke from you. Thank you, Obi-Wan. I'm done with the porn. <laughs> what? You want to see naked pictures of Holly Berry from Swordfish? Of course I do! Right. Right. Damn, dude. You ain't tell me they had the girl from Price is Right. She got naked pictures? Damn. Thanks, man. Davey. Yes, sir. Um, you into goat play? What is goat play? Lizzie. Oh, oh, man. All right, come on, let's hurry up. Debt consolidation. No. Gambling. No, please. Debt consolidation. Nah. Gambling. Ah! Consolidation. No. Gambling. No, please. Debt consolidation. Nah. Gambling. Ah! Debt consolidation. Gambling. Gambling. Enough! Enough with the pop-ups! Fix.
Wow. How you doing? Hello. My name is Deborah. Hey, Deborah, I'm Dave. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Look kind of cute, Dave. Thanks, Deborah. Come here, I want to tell you something. Seriously, bro, I can make your penis fat and harder for longer. What the fuck? You tricked me. Now all this place is sick. You should all be ashamed of yourself. You heathens. There are no side effects. So, man. So, I play the internet thing, but, you know, it's really just kind of a concept. I know I've been hammering a lot with articles, but I, I really wonder sometime, is social media killing us? I mean, is social media a good thing or is it a bad thing? Because the more I look at it, I I think it's fucking horrible. I, I don't think there's any redeeming qualities in Facebook, MySpace, Twitter. It just brings the worst out of people. And I find, even I, at times, it's like you just put your shit out there. You just, ah, rage against the machine. And, and what good does it do? do you, you're, are you looking for affirmation? Because half the time, nobody even reads that shit. I mean, the only thing that seems to be popular is flags for terrorist attacks. And, oh, by the way, look what the fuck I'm eating. And here's pictures of my kids that I, I'm forcing on you. So look at them, motherfucker. That's, you need to look at my goddamn kids or my dog or my hamster or my fish. I mean, it's just kind of weird. So I went to Louder at Crowder. 12 signs that Facebook is ruining your life. It's my daughter's birthday today. So this morning I jumped on Facebook to leave her a witty birthday greeting before calling her. Only to remember, she killed her Facebook account several months ago. After watching the negative effect of Facebook on other social people properties has had on some people, I've come to believe there are many others who should do the same thing. Here are some signs that Facebook is ruining your life. One, you have more communication with people in your tight circle of local friends on Facebook than you do in real life. I mean, that's spot on. I There's a, like three or four people who live around me. That's the only time we talk. We don't get together for dinner. We don't have a drink. We, we don't speak to each other, except on Facebook. Two, you spend more than 20 minutes a day on Facebook. I spend 20 minutes a day on Facebook, but it's for promoting my job. And in my last job, it was promoting promotions or something. But I don't spend a lot of time um, I'll promote my podcast. I mean, it seems like a good advertising tool because... Anything you get out of it is free unless you use one of their stupid things, which I've tried and I paid 50 bucks and got shit for it. I mean, it didn't really improve anything. I didn't get any more followers and I didn't see any podcast listens. So I, I you know, once again, they supposedly showed it to 13,000 people or blah, 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 blah. So I don't get it. Three, Facebook. Facebook's the first thing you do in the morning, then you're back midday, then again in the evening, just to keep track of lives of everyone in your friends group. I don't see that. I, I gotta be quite honest. 
even I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I think it's more about you. You're putting shit out there. You don't read a lot of people. I mean, only in a moment of sheer boredom at work, if I'm sitting there and I have nothing better to do, I go through the fucking timeline and I read people's shit and I usually don't do the top comments because it's always going to be my wife or my closest friends. I go into recent and I look at all the recents and I go, okay. But most people don't do that. They, they're just putting their shit out. And there was a time that I found myself really looking, oh God, I thought that was really good. Nobody said anything. And I needed affirmation from a fucking digital website that I have 400 friends that I don't know a lot of them. They were in my high school, I think, or I worked with them and we don't talk. But at the end of the day, I, I really, once again, was hurt by not, ha- not hurt, but, but, you know, like brushed, bruised, because people didn't like it. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think a lot of people, my, my personal Facebook actually listen to my podcast, but the only time anybody ever even fucking notices anything is if I put pictures of me and the wife. I have a couple friends that have copycatted and they told me that. They said they just love how we do that. So I like theirs and my homages for our anniversary. I used to do political homages about Memorial Day or Fallen Soldiers. I mean, for a long time, before I had the podcast, I would post Fallen. Everybody who was dying, I'd post them, especially from the 101st. And I would smoke a cigar and drink a bourbon, and I would say the smoking light is on. And that's an old military tradition from balls, and you could smoke. And I'd smoke my cigar, recognize the Fallen, get their bio, put it on my Facebook and then the war slowed down and there wasn't that many people dying and I, I quit that. But that was the only other thing people paid attention to. Number four, you found yourself saying, not right now, I'm on Facebook. To anybody important that's around you. Goes to my closeout. People around you. More important than fucking internet. Five, you've ever announced some important change in your life on Facebook before you picked up the phone or met in person with your closest friends or you're significant on others. Like, I'm pregnant, I'm engaged. I've never done that. I've, I've never done that. Six, you cut short a real world conversation with someone you've just met and liked so you could stalk them on Facebook. I've seen that. I've had people do it. Can I, what's your Facebook page? I'm like, we're fucking talking right now. I need my fucking Facebook, Facebook page. Seven, you've ever heard some variation of the words, I wish you would stop chatting on Facebook and spend time with me. You probably got a problem. Eight, you've ever revealed something deeply personal on Facebook that you've regretted later. My hand's up. I've done it. I've done it. That poem I just read about dreams. I wish I want to put that out there. I don't know why I put it out there. I was bored. I was in a car. I was at a rest stop. I put it out there. Nine, you regularly find yourself together with friends, all accessing your own Facebook accounts instead of actually talking to each other. I see that constantly. Tan, your wall has more applications than your friends are playing than real communication with those you like. That's true. When there was Farmville, I swear to God, I wanted to defriend people. If I got another Farmville frickin' invite, I was going to puke. And it was all for people I don't even talk to. 11, you go on Facebook mostly to do applications. 12, you regularly choose to chat rather than to pick up the phone and actually talk with someone or gulp, actually visit them. 
Tough words? Possibly. Do they apply to you? Probably. Just wanted to make you think. Now, what are you going to do about it? Remember, I love Facebook and think most people should too. I just think it's not right for some people. I can't wait to see reactions, blah, 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 blah. And you can go to his webpage and do it. But I, I, I really think he nails some important shit. Cause it goes back to what I, I hammer on the show and I know it's annoying, but the people sitting at a table not talking, they're all on their friggin' phones. What they're doing on the phones, I have no freaking idea, but they're on the damn phones constantly, and I'm like, what the fuck over? Isn't there something you could be talking about? Or whole families. Oh, I got my like. Somebody liked it. I got so many likes. From Think Progress, a liberal site, which astounded me. Science says Facebook is ruining your life. Facebook is the world, well, I don't care. So the University of British Columbia study released over Thanksgiving holiday found that Facebook posts contribute to negative feelings, including low self-worth, but mostly jealousy. Previous studies have linked social media to narcissism, depression, and anxiety, but haven't quite uncovered why, according to Isaac Benningbot, an information system researcher at UBC business professor and co-author of the study. The study, Why Following Friends Can Hurt You, and published in Information System Research, evaluated survey respondents from 1,200 people in Germany. Facebook does make people feel good. 38% of the respondents said using the social network felt pleasurable. But when asked which emotion they felt most when using Facebook, it was envy. But students didn't immediately identify with feeling envious. Ben Boss told Think Progress, if we ask people directly, what do you feel? Only 25% mentioned envy. That number jumps to 50 when asked about a general feeling. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Posts and leisures and travel trigger those feelings of inadequacy and envy the most, 63% of the time, compared to 18% of the time when mentioned offline. Bringing to friends about vacations and adventures through photos or otherwise has previously been linked to feelings of unhappiness. Also, the tendency to compare diminishes one's own vacation or good time high unless an experience is unique and can't be compared. Most of the time, people on Facebook are trying to show their good sides, not their bad sides. When envy goes up, emotional and social well-being goes down, increasing feelings of loneliness, sadness, and stress. Millennials are particularly susceptible to feeling unhappy because of disparities between one's life's expectation, economy reality, and disillusioned portrayals on social media. Internet communication already reduces inhibitions. We can lead to aggressive, inflammatory, and violent language or behavior that wouldn't be exhibited in a person. And it is still the biggest problem. For those that were on the internet back in day one, you know, back in the aughts, you know, in 2000, or 99, I started. It does. We all didn't have Facebook or MySpace. You didn't say who you were. And you said fucking horrible shit. Because you could. Nobody knew who the fuck you were. You had an alter ego. And there's still people out there. I mean, I meet people all the time. I work right now. And by my last job, there are fucking kooks out there who literally go by aliases and talk all sorts of shit. About shit they don't even care about. But they can't. It's the troll. The worry is that young adults and teens are most susceptible to having negative feelings by using social media. From other studies, we know that feelings of envy are higher when you are younger and dissipate when you're older because you just don't give a fuck anymore. That's where I'm at. Facebook was previously linked to mental health. A collaborative study with Cambridge and Stanford linked Facebook lights to personality traits including openness and neurosis. 
To cope with these feelings, however, people sometimes react by making themselves look good in subsequent posts. There's a reaction to when people feel envious, they will post good, pleasant information about themselves. Like, look what I'm eating! The study left some questions unanswered, such as how long the negative feelings lasted after using Facebook, or how posts with text versus video or photo contributed to these feelings. Because increased social media use dampens moods, taking breaks or measures to balance that can help. According to a study published by Danish Happiness Research Institute, ooh, the Happy Institute, people who stopped using Facebook for a week felt their quality of life improved 10%. There are also apps that work to counteract the damaging effects of social media by allowing users to track their mood. But the takeaway... Why following friends can hurt you isn't that everyone should drop Facebook, but bringing awareness and education to Facebook, it's it's more than a billion users. There's some positive. All technology have positive sides and negative sides from the beginning of computerization. But the question is, are people aware of the effect their posting will have on others? And if they do, is it deliberate and narcissistic? Moreover, he said, is there a downside to technology use? What can we do about it? How can we alleviate the problem? Now, this is off topic, but it's a show that I saw this week, and me and the wife are watching it. And it is the year one million. And I'm just going to play a trailer for it. The year million. We're not talking about a date. It's a figurative era, one where our world has gone through such a dramatic change that it's practically unrecognizable. Year million is a pretty popular trope. It's not necessarily literally the year one million. It's more, you know, far, far down the road. Humanity has evolved past a lot of the concerns that we have now. And one of the main innovations that will shape that future is the creation and rise of artificial intelligence. If you ask, what is it that truly defines human beings, I would say it's it's our minds, it's our consciousness, it's our intelligence. And if we could create that kind of intelligence, create the most powerful thing that we experience, that's breathtaking, right? Who wouldn't find that either enormously compelling or enormously frightening. And you should be frightened. For example, you know that cell phone in your pocket. You can't live without it. And it's already started to replace you. It can access your memories and find new information in the blink of an eye and just keeps getting better with time. That's the AI that will challenge our dominance on planet Earth. We have billions and billions of dollars in this arms race to develop AI. You're going to expect everything, every object to become smart. All of these fundamental things that are going to change everything, everything. So let's show you how that arms race plays out. Now, on this show, they go into the AI a lot, but also they talk about digitizing yourself into what would be the matrix, and that long-term scientists are working for the ability 
to download your brain and put it into androids. And this is all real shit. This wasn't sci-fi. There's actually people working on mapping the brain, finding out what shit is in the brain, taking your brain, putting it in a digital, you live forever in a avatar. And I thought, well, they thought, and I thought, we were already starting it. We have AI. We think less. We have a phone. My cell phone I'm holding in my hand is a BlackBerry Priv. I love this phone. There's nights I disconnect and I put my computer on my desk at work. I don't bring it home if I've already written my scripts or whatever. I just review them the next day. But the phone does everything my computer does. I can do everything. I even have VPN connection. So I'm like freaking in another country all the time. But we're getting there. Personal assistance, the PDA started it. We don't think as much. And we all have digital selves already. They're different than the reality of who we are. Facebook, you have to show evidence. You know, you show pictures or whatever. But when you really break it down, folks, it, it's, it's where people want to go. Sorry, I had to take a drink. But I think it's it's dangerous. I mean, this whole thing is dangerous. You're talking about seriously altering who you are because of the internet. And, and it's just not social media. We'll see a new social media nugget. There's a whole bunch of people getting into fucking virtual sex now. And we've you know we've covered on the show, but the porn addiction. It's horrible for males, and it, and it starts an unreal reality of what you're looking for with your sex partner. Because I hate to break the bubble, it's just like wrestling. It's not real. No girl's going to let you freaking plow her in the rear. It's not happening. And if she does, she's got super low esteem. Or maybe she's in a committed relationship where there are people that get into that kind of shit. I mean, there's people out there. Everybody's got the freak. I got my freak. You got your freak. I never put on my freak. But we all have freak. We all have a sexual kink. But it's fake. It's not real. No girl's going to walk around the shit they walk around, strip, grind on you. That shit doesn't happen except in strip clubs. And if you notice, if you're in a strip club, you got to pay for it. Not that I go to strip clubs, but my youth I did. And yeah, you pay. She's doing it because she wants pay. But that becomes so addictive that people are having problems sexually because the VR goggles and now touch and Japanese freaks got freaking basically pocket vaginas you put on your schlong and they feel and act with you. And they're already starting studies on it that people are having problems having real sex because they don't want sex now. Real sex, not good. Digital sex, good. What the fuck? And I, and I wonder sometimes, what is this doing to us? I have really cut back. I, I knew I had a problem for a while. I would be home and I wouldn't be talking to my wife. I'd be on fucking line because that's what I did to bide my time. I had nothing better to do. I was connected all the friggin' time. And I started realizing it was so stupid. I had my wife in the room. We're watching TV and I'm on my computer. I can be on my computer five days a week in a hotel room. Why couldn't I take two days off? So I've started. I, I fixed it. 
years ago. I started pulling out, disconnecting. I got put taken out of the battery farm like fucking Neo, and that was it. I'm done. But here's a typical millennial. Social media is ruining everything. Typical day for me starts out me turning off the alarm on my smartphone, immediately taking the opportunity to check all my text, instant messages, email status updates. You get the picture. Every like, every personal message, every post on my feed is a dopamine rush. All the fun of interacting with friends without having to actually, you know, be near them. So how that's how I start my day. And from there, it doesn't get a lot better. Waiting for bus, check Facebook. Riding the bus to campus, Reddit, going to the beach, Snapchat. I know I'm not alone on this. The vast majority of my generation is hooked up to a great big internet advertising machine designed to keep us tethered to it as much as possible. It's like we we each carry around our addiction every day in our pockets, our own little junkie kit, Android, iOS, Windows. It's all the same, really. We're all hooked into our own little world of which we are the sole creator. I know it's a a tired cliche at this point, but the truth is we're so involved in connecting that we seem to neglect real connections. And while it's all digital and intangible, it has far-reaching pervasive effects in the real world. That's the stuff you see when you put your phone away. Truth is, I think social media is ruining pretty much everything. I don't remember it ever existing, but I like to believe that there was a time when people relished an open civil discourse. A time when people discussed ideas with relish and people on the other side of the discussion, regardless of what it was about, treat each other with respect we deserved as humans. I want to believe this is the case because I believe in the best part of human nature, our ability to band together as equals regardless of our petty differences, united by the fact that we're all impossibly unlikely creatures living together on this tiny little speck of dust in the sunbeam surrounded by an inhospitable void that extends for eternity and all we really have is each other. You wouldn't know that we were capable of that if you only knew us through the internet, through vitriol. Vitriol pours pours forth from the intellect like an elevator scene in The Shining. We all judge each other's self-worth based on the tiny fractions of our personality that we show to the online world, and we shame each other over the most petty of perceived missteps. We feel we have the freedom to say the things we could never really say in life because it feels safer behind a screen. Remove the people we disagree from our online lives and ignoring them will make them go away. When really all we're doing is saving ourselves from the important, painful, challenging task of questioning our beliefs and admitting to ourselves our own wrongness. I gotta be political for 10 seconds because the people that are doing that are liberals. Every media, talking head, you see on CNN, MSNBC, whatever, have banned me or somebody else for challenging them, not cursing them, not calling them names, challenging them. Chuck Todd, you're sympathizing with terrorists. That's ridiculous. Block. Glenn Thrush, how much will you do for the DNC? Blocked. Brooke Baldwin, blocked blocked they can't handle an opposing view they don't have to because they're smart you're stupid they're important you're insignificant as much as they might get on tv and say we really need to know about the middle of the west like chuck todd does he doesn't give a fuck about you he can give shit if you live die or grow mushrooms in your crack he's a rich motherfucker living in a fucking castle and you're the bitch plowing potatoes 
So I, I have to admit, of late, it's the left. It's not the resistance. It's, the, it's pre-Trump. They disconnect anybody who dare questions their worldview. We're becoming worse people, less routed, more self-righteous, left understand, less understanding, more angry. The worst part is we're doing it to ourselves. Facebook and Twitter may have given us the tools, but in crazy Lord of the Flies world we live in, they're just the island. Studies have shown definitively that increased time spent on social media is correlated with higher rates of depression, yet we still live an ever-increasing segment of our lives online. Each of us is becoming more and more responsible for our own faults and less and less willing to change them. But our social heroin addiction don't just doesn't just feed our basis instinct. They distract us from our finest moments too. So I had to correct that article. She was wrong. She wrote it wrong. I can't recount how many times I've gone to a concert and seen a multitude of people holding up their phones, shooting video to send to their friends. You're probably guilty of it yourself. I certainly am. As if our lives are all so important that everyone else needs to see exactly how much fun we're having. Do we really need video of photographic evidence that we were there at the moment in time? Aren't our own memories good enough? How can you say you saw something amazing if you only ever saw it through your phone camera lens? If there was one thing I would say to my entire generation, it would be this. Stop worrying about documenting your life and start living it. True. I video it to capture the audio. So I'm holding it up and I'm watching. And it's only key songs that I ever do, even Perfect Circle, because I want that audio. I don't want the video. I don't even watch the video. I take it back, strip it to an MP3, and I jam to the sound or arrangement that they were playing. But it's true. So many people are doing it and then blasting it to Facebook. And I'm guilty. I've done it. Just to show, hey, this great concert. Some people are doing it to be, hey, I'm cool on Facebook. The rest of them are like me, probably music buffs. So I disagree with that. But um, in his thing, he gives us stories. Valentine's Day several years ago, my now ex-girlfriend and I planned to watch Sunset on Santa Clara. As we were leaving my house, I stopped and turned to her, let's leave our phones. And we did. As we looked over the sea and the sun dipped below the horizon, I contemplated the frail t- fragility of memory. We never really remember all our events truthfully. Our original memories are always colored by our mood at the time and by what we expect to see. As time goes on, memories change because all we ever remember of an event is the last time we remembered it. I thought of how romantic it might be to see a school of dolphins breaching in the distance, and now that image is part of my memory of that afternoon as well, though I know it never happened. I'm glad I didn't bring my phone with me that day. I was fully present in the place in the moment in a way that I find increasingly difficult to achieve these days. So what if I don't have pictures? I have my memories, and that's all I need. I think we're all capable of choosing to disconnect to live the way life should be lived. Maybe there's hope for us yet. That's a millennial. And he's spot on. Spot on. So to close it up, social media pros and cons. Number one, social media spreads information faster, 78.5% faster than regular media. Law enforcement uses it to catch and prosecute criminals. Social media sites help students do better. They say 59% better at school. Social media allows people to improve the relationship and make new friends. Social media helps empower businesswomen, which I don't know what the fuck that has to do with anything, but oh. Okay, I guess it's important, whatever. Social media sites help employers find employees. Being a part of a social media site can increase a person's quality of life and reduce risk of health problems. I don't know where the fuck they got that. 
It facilitates face-to-face interaction with the live streaming. Social media increases voter participation. Not next year. It's going to depress anybody who's not a Democrat. Social media facilitates political change. I don't really think so, but whatever. Social media is good for the economy. The con, social media enables the spread of unreliable and false information. You knew fake news is going to be in here. Social media lacks privacy and exposes government and corporate entities to intrusion. Students or heavy social media users tend to have lower grades. So how does it improve education for lower grades? Same survey. Social media can lead to stress and offline relationship problems. Social media can entice people to waste time. Social media can harm job stability. The use of social media is correlated with personality and brain disorders. Social media causes people to spend less face-to-face, but somehow it gives us more face-to-face. What the fuck does that mean? Criminals use social media to commit promote crimes. Social media can endanger the military journalists and activists. How's an endangered journalist? Let me see what the force base for the... Oh, because they can find where you're at. That's bad for them. Okay. So, I hate to keep hammering the points. I know it's a repeat of a couple podcasts ago, but I found these articles, thought it was really interesting, and I think just the point of why bringing it up, I don't think everybody should cut the Facebook off. I'm really close because I'm just sick of it. And I think I'm getting older. And, you know, the MySpace Facebook, I lived through it. Yeah, it's kind of getting stale. But... If it's ruling your life and you don't interact with anybody else or you don't have any conversations with anybody on your Facebook face-to-face, probably is a moment to think about it. And as I say on my exit all the time, it's really important to disconnect. It's really important to be present in the moment of people that are around you because this is a short freaking ride. And if it's all on your Facebook feed, remember, there's something like 10 million dead people on Facebook. They don't interact anymore. People interact with them because they don't know they're dead. So think about it. To a music break, news, social media nuggets.
The show for normal Americans. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
U.S. led coalition increase airstrikes by 50% against Islamic State. A total of 14,192 rockets, bombs, and other munitions were dropped in the first four months of this year, up from 9,000 last year. Wow. That's awesome. But it needs to be tripled. We just need to blot them off the face of the earth. Trump's budget calls for cuts to VA benefits. Trump's budget released Tuesday proposed cutting monthly stipends to some disabled unemployed veterans and reducing veterans' cost of living adjustments as offsets to continue program that allows veterans to seek care outside the Department of Veteran Affairs. That will not go through at all. But it's poetic justice because one of the reasons why I voted against Hillary was that I was trying to apply for my VA benefits for the first time in my life, and I am pretty fucked up with my back, and I think they kind of owe me something. I hate to say that. It's the first time I've ever said those words, but it's true. And now it might not be something, so go figure. But Bush changed the rules that if you got over 40, you got you got tax-free, and if you got over 50, they gave matching stipends, even though it's less than it's supposed to be. Well, Trump's talking about pulling it back. As Trump weighs more troops in Afghanistan, some in Congress seeking to freeze his funds. I just wanted to read that title. I don't want to curse right now, but you knew it was coming. You knew we're going to start the Democrat two-step, which is those wars. We're not for those wars. We're not going to give you money to fight the wars so that we have a hard time as warriors to fight the war, even though there's more and more terrorist attacks. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with you progressives? In the weird section, and I went to different sites to do our news and social media nuggets today, and I found some interesting shit. This one was one of those what-the-fuck moments. Dad tells daughter why he's proud she became a porn star. No shit. It was only after Aurora Snow retired from porn that she was able to ask her dad how he really felt about her career. When she finally did, she was blown away by his response. I was proud. For 11 years, Snow was one of the porn's biggest celebrities, even earning a spot in the Adult Video Hall of Fame, which I did not know. Since retiring, Snow has contributed regularly to the Daily Beast under the stage name, where she has interviewed many people about the porn biz. She also has discussed how she will tell her children about on-sex career. But on camera, sex career, I read that all bad. But Snow avoided asking her own family the hard question until recently. She writes in her latest column after nearly an hour-long phone. Hour, after an hour on the phone, just as we were about to hang up, I mustered up the courage. Dad, how did you feel about when you heard Aurora Snow silence? I was proud. His reaction wasn't always as generous. He admits to being initially angry when he found out 
how she earned her money when he heard her making gagging noises on the Howard Stern show. Were you shocked? I wasn't exactly the type to end up in porn. Yeah, I was shocked, but I was proud. My daughter is Aurora Snow. When my friends found out, they said, oh my God, that's your daughter? And how did you handle that? When they'd say, how do you feel about your daughter being a porn queen? I'd ask them how much money they've made having sex. None. They'd have to pay for it. So I'm like, okay, so you you pay for it. My daughter makes hundreds of thousands of dollars having sex. So come on. If you could do that, wouldn't you? And that shut him up. So it wasn't weird for you? Not at all. I'm very proud of you. Snow pressed her dad further on his reaction. He responded that he didn't want to be hypocrite. If I could have made a hundred of thousands of dollars having sex, I would have done it. I bragged about you. How many people can say they've done what you've done? I'm proud to call you my daughter. It's your life and you can make whatever choices you want. Discussing the porn industry with family members is one of the most difficult tasks on adult performers face. And the very NSFW video below explains it. In it, Leah Gotti explains that her dad cut her out of family after he found out she was Mick Blue's she did porn while Mick Blue's parent asked for VHS video of one of his films because his relatives wanted to watch it. Now I researched who she was because I didn't know who she was. And um, she was known for anal sex. You know, I've always said, and even though I don't speak to my kids, I, I'm pro- you know, I will support them whatever they do in their life. But that would be a bridge. I'd, I'd have to negotiate that bridge because she wasn't just person who performed porn she was known for what would be typified as as her bio said gonzo and i don't know how i'd feel about that and i don't know how i feel about this goat yoga as people flock into a hampshire farm you probably saw on your tv didn't know what it was but there's a whole place up there where people are doing yoga while goats climb on them yeah okay great they're in Oregon, Arizona, and Massachusetts. 995 bag of moon dust could fetch up to $4 million at auction. One space geek collector could soon be over the moon. A small white pouch marked Lunar Sample Return, which Nancy Lee Carlson bought two years ago for 995 bucks, is expected to fetch, fetch as much as $4 million at a Sotheby's auction. That's because it's sprinkled with moon dust. Neil Armstrong filled the bag with rocks from the Lunar Sea of Tranquility during his historic trip in 1969. He turned the bag over to Houston, which emptied it all the rocks and then lost track of it. It eventually turned up a U.S. Marshals auction website. Enter Carlson, a Chicago-area attorney. She bought the pouch along with some other items in a kind of space memento grab bag. For $9.95 and sent it off to NASA for testing. NASA claims the bag belonged to the agency and wouldn't return it until after a long court battle. You'd think Carlson was asking for the moon, but basically she was asking for moon dust. Wow. That would be cool. Another cool thing, as I segue off, QB Aaron Rodgers retweets, gets Iowa teens out of final exam. Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers scored a lot of points with some high school students in Janesville, Ohio, with just one retweet. Students in the sports literature class, whatever the fuck that is, and the Janesville Consolidated School District made a deal with teacher Laura Roberts, a big Rodgers fan. She agreed to cancel the final exam if someone in the class could get a retweet from Rodgers, according to ESPN.com. The job fell to student Peyton Maynard, who laid his heart on the line in less than 140 characters. Aaron Rodgers, number 12, our teacher agreed to not give us a final in Sports Lit. If you retweet this, please retweet. She is your biggest fan with three prayer emojis. 
On Thursday, Rodgers did it. I'm sure a sports lit final is very important, but here you go. The teacher kept her word and canceled the test, or the students definitely learned a good lesson on how to network. That's cute. That's pretty cute. So, you go, Rogers. I love you. I love you in a non-gay way. You were fucking awesome. Not that you can't be gay. That's not what I said, but wow. That's pretty cool that he took his time to do that. Irish beach reappearing 33 years after vanishing in the Atlantic Ocean. A beach that was swept away more than 30 years ago from Rhode Island off the west coast of Ireland has reappeared after thousands of tons of sand were deposited on top of a rocky coastline. The 300-meter beach near the tiny village of Duhag on Akil Island vanished in 1984 when storms ripped it off its sand, leaving nothing more than a series of rock pools. But the high tide springs last month. Locals found the Atlantic Ocean had returned the sand. That's pretty cool. There's a picture online. You can find it. World's first operational RoboCot hit the street of Dubai builds robot police force. Let me say that again. World's first operational RoboCop hits the streets at Dubai as they build Robert robot police force. And I give up. Because it's not written in English. That's how it's written. The world's first operational RoboCop has been unveiled in Dubai as part of the Emirates' planned robot police force. A 5 foot 5 tall and weighing 100 kilograms, it can speak six languages and is designed to read facial expressions. It had an easy start to working life, being unveiled at the three-day-long Gulf Information Security Expo on conference. That's creepy. I'm not down with it. I'm not down with that. Goes back to that year million thing. Good Lord. This article freaked me out. This is what happens to your body when you become a cannibal, and it's unsurprisingly grim. Cannibalism may generally fr- be frowned upon these days, but it was only last century that human blood was used as medicine in Europe. Now eating our fellow humans is considered the sort of nightmare scenario you associate with a huge disaster, eradicating all other sources of food. Which is just as well because the ethics aside, it's really bad for you. It can kill you. Classed as red meat due to the myoglobin in our muscles, human flesh is dangerous to eat because of prions. Until about 50 years ago in Papua New Guinea, cannibalism was still widely practiced with members of the Four tribe eating their deceased family members. The Indy 100 reports, the unpleasant side effect of this consumption of human tissue was developed Kuru, also known as the laughing disease. Kuru is very rare, incurable neurodegenerative disorder caused by a twisted protein in human flesh. Prions, which survive heat and being cooked. Prions wreak devastation by killing nerve cells in the brain, rendering it a sponge full of holes. Kuro means to shiver or tremble in fear, owing to its symptoms. Yeah. That'd be bad. I'm, I'm just taking a guess. That would be bad. And I never heard that, because I've always heard the mad cow... You can get human mad cow, which a friend of mine's father died that way, and it was supposed to be from meat. And, uh, yeah. Wow. As talked about in our last section, researchers discover virtual reality porn can improve couples' real sex life. That's what it says deeper in the article. It doesn't say that. The latest technology allows gamers to become an active part of new experiences through sex games on screen. New experience. You got a picture of six or seven girls um, in this porn booth, I guess, uh, some sex show. Researchers discover virtual reality porn can improve real couples' life. 
but they are warning about the dangers of VR porn, where others, where some users think sex via headset is better than the real thing. The latest technology allows gamers to become an active part of new experiences through sex games on screen. A research team from Newcastle University found growing popularity of VR technology opening a whole new market in porn. Madeline Ballum, co-author of the research, used 45 volunteers, 14 men, 18 women, and three others, which I don't know what that is. She said, I think it, it's a more first-person rather than a third-person experience. The sensory experience through this technology means you think you are playing a role in it rather than watching it. I think people were writing these accounts to attune technology to create their fictional des- desires so the characters look exactly what you want them to look like and does exactly what you want them to do. It is the ultimate for users in that sense. She added, some wrote stories about being caught using VR in their own lives, but instead of getting angry, their partner agreed to explore the fantasies played out on a screen. In my house, that would get me the couch. Then they had amazing sex life together, so this technology improved their sex life. Some couples wrote stories together after watching the porn. They showed two pictures of people sitting there watching VR together. They're not naked, and I don't know why that picture's there. Dangers include more violent fantasies, however, and using photos of a partner or even a stranger to create characters involved in VR sex on screen. By the 19th century, porno was in books, art, postcards, at all. Now with 3D cameras, photos of real people may be used for online sex games rather than avatars, including nude photos of partners past or present, which is one of the risks posed by the new media. Dr. Ballam added, we are already obsessed with body image and digital industry is no different, creating the perfect virtual woman from Laura Croft to sex robots. VR porn has the potential to escalate this. As many as one in five men worldwide may now prefer online stimulation to the real thing. Our research highlighted not only a drive for perfection, but also a crossover between reality and fantasy. Some of our findings highlighted the potential for creating 3D models of real-life people raising questions about consent and revenge porn. If a user created a VR version of the real-life girlfriend example, would they do the things to her that they knew she would refuse in the real world. Matthew Wood told VR told how VR offers the opportunity to move from being simply an observer to a participant. This changes the experience massively. Our findings suggest VR porn could be more like cheating on a partner because of the increased reality of the experience. We found that for some people, the potential of VR porn experience opened the doors to an apparent preference of a perfect sexual experience, a scenario which in the real world no one would do. For others, it meant pushing boundaries, often with highly explicit imagery, and we know exposure to this can become addictive and more extreme. Through headsets as the Facebook-owned, which I did not know this, Oculus Rift, which is the, the best VR you can get, PlayStation-style sex games are growing in use and it could be seen in revenge porn in the future. It was presented at a computer-human interaction conference last week. Along with this, they showed all these crazy Japanese stuff like I spoke. I mean, the hand things you hold so you feel, and if you grab it or whatever, you're grabbing whatever it is in the game. Um, I've used normal VR. We have like just a regular VR viewer. My wife's got the fancy Pixel one. And... I could see the app. Everything on the internet turns to porn. Let's be honest. It, it always turns to porn. Everything's porn. Um, uh, as Chappelle said, it's a place you wouldn't go. 
But I can see how some people who have no human contact, that that is going to be very enticing for them. So they'll spend the $600 for the Oculus Rift with touch. $600 for a VR viewer. That's just fucking crazy to me. That's like buying a goddamn computer. The, the computer I'm recording right now is 16 gigs of RAM and an i7 processor only costs 500 But they're buying these goggles and it's crazy. In our usual social craziness, Hallmark caters to trans community with cards that celebrate transitioning. Hallmark is now selling transitioning cards. According to Glamour, the brand has a new card and the sub- subset Encouragement. Transgender transitioning within its broader LGBTQIA cosine of form cards. Featuring a butterfly, the card cover text reads, Becoming who you've always been. How wonderful is this? Huffington Post writer James Michael Nichols clearly approved cheering. More of this, please. While Refinery29 contributor Kimberly Trong added, Hallmark devotees may be pleasantly surprised to see the company's now offering cards to celebrate and congratulate all this stuff. News about the card first began to circulate when librarian Renita Sanchez posted a picture online. I've never seen Hallmark cards for gender transitioning before. Capitalism triumphs over hate. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. In response to the tweet, Hallmark tweeted back, Love always wins. Oh, yeah, we're into it. When Pink News reached out for statement and company representative responded, Hallmark makes cards for all kinds of relationships and situations, including many that might be defined as non-traditional. For example, the brand new brand offers... Some examples the brand offers were heterosexual couple who are not married, those in mixed race or interfaith relationship, and blended families. So people in each of these situations can find cards that meet their needs. Actress Patricia Arquette, a huge LGBT freak, sister of transgender actor Alex Alexis Arquette and recipient of the GLAAD Award, in response to Sankin's tweet, she responded, Awesome! That's not capitalism. 0.7%. go back to the original sex. That's all I have to say. That is, I'm buckling to the agenda. And this is another one. Abortionist recognizes person of the year. When the term abortionist comes up in conversation, does the word hero usually follow? Not in my world, but in the LA Times decided to make Willie Parker a piece about his acceptance award for pro-choice women's group. The liberal media has embraced Parker's story, especially since his memoir, Life's Work, A Moral Argument for Choice, came out earlier this spring. He's been interviewed on The Daily Show, Rolling Stones, and overall heralded by the liberal left as a Christian hero, mostly because he believes pro-choice values do not contradict with Christian ethics. The article written by Robin Alwakarian pulls out the antidote Parker tells about the Good Samaritan, quoting his memoirs. For the Samaritan, the person in need was a fallen traveler. For me, it was a pregnant woman. And I'm not reading the rest of this because I am telling you right now, nowhere in the Constitution, nor in the Bible, did anybody talk about abortion. It wasn't even something anybody ever thought of. Nobody ever thought of it. So how can you pull that out of the Bible? I'm sorry. I, I just don't understand it. I can understand gay, I can understand transgender, whatever. I can understand abortion. That is not a religious value. No religion values abortion. It says, ye shall not judge. Sure. But how do you sanction the death of God's creation? Where does that come from? Tell me what verse that's in. I'd be interested to know. 
Going to a lighter fare, we have two fantastic sound bites. Number one from Yusha Smith's YouTube channel. That's once again Y U S H A Smith YouTube. How recruiters are in each branch of military. And my bro crush on Matt Best 11X. When you ask a gun owner for protection. Enjoy. All right, brother. Time to pick your career in the army. You need to tell me I get to pick my own job? That's a fucking lowly crap. You have 31 Bravo. Yeah, you kind of look like a snitch. Infantry. What is that? The best damn job in the army is like Boy Scouts meets Call of Duty. Does it come with an enlistment bonus? Does it come with an enlistment bonus? Come on, man. Where the army? Wow, that Camaro you Say no more. Where do I sign? On the dotted line. At least I get to spend my money, man. I can't wait to spend that. <laughs> I got your ass now. You won't be needing these. Ah, here you go. Now get your fat ass on that bus. Now! You know you done fucked up, right? But... Hurry up. Get up. Massage. Enjoy your 16-week vacation at Fort Benning. Okay. <laughs> so what kind of job opportunities will be available for me after I get out the Marines? None. But we do prepare the fuck out of you to be homeless as shit. Seriously? But hey, you'll still be a Marine. Well, I... Slipper five, motherfucker. So how about that task you said I had to do in order Here to in the Marines, we have all-you-can-eat crayons, slow promotions, and cool-ass uniforms. Oh, and standard-issue pistols. Standard-issue? Damn right. No way. That's more of a yes way. Man, I tell you... In order to move on to the next step of the Air Force's enlistment process, we need to find out what your intellectual capacity is. Here's a Bible and a calculator. We need you to find out if the mother of all bombs is 11 tons of TNT. How big would the blast radius be if it was dropped from Jesus' doorstep? You know what? Never mind. I knew you wasn't Air Force material. Here's an easier task. Take this phone book. I need you to determine if a fighter jet is flying 400 miles an hour from Dallas to Memphis, how many rounds of golf can one airman play in that allotted time? You know what? You know what? Just, just leave. Just leave. These are simple third grade level questions. How can you not answer this? Just get out. Get out now. Go. Petty Officer Dingleberry, absolutely great to sit down and talk about the Navy's opportunities. I know there's a lot of them. Well, uh, thank you for coming. Because there's going to be a lot of that in the next coming years. Mm, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, what is it about the Navy that's, you know, that separates you guys from the Army? In the Navy, I can pitch you in any job that you want, even if it blows, if you catch my drift. We also let you try on our uniforms before you enlist. Mm, look at you looking like a whole snack. Now do this. And do what now? In the Navy, we love to boogie and drink and party. What does this have to do with uh, the job title? There you go. Just this, like that. Mm, mm, what's the name mm, of the job title mm. again? So what you're saying is this is a cop in the Navy? Is oh yeah, you? totally. Are you are you are you serious right now? What? You look gorgeous. You know what? I'm starting to think you're trying to dress me up like the village people. And uh I don't think this is appropriate anymore. I gotta go. Come on, big fella. Don't leave. We want yeah, you in our Navy. Your mom? Yeah. Can you pick me up, please? They brought protection.
make sure you want to pussy. Well, that kind of blew that one. I, I watched the Matt Best video and I didn't realize I was it with music, but you could go to the website and watch it. I'm sorry I played that. I, I didn't think that went through because I thought it was funny as shit. Yeah, I brought protection. It was guns, not a rubber. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with some family and friends. Leave a comment about the track by sending an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Fop podcast at gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud box gas attic tune in radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher remember to check out the flower politic webpage at foppodcast.com foppodcast.com to see links to feeds for the show links to our facebook and to email us there you will see also links to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page finally at foppodcast.com you can send us segments for the show you can also sign up for a web sign up I'm getting those emails, and I'm going to start sending out emails about blogs, et cetera, et cetera, from the Gmail account, foppodcast at gmail.com, uh, to highlight that. I, I don't want to pay more money for the webpage just to link my Gmail account when I already have a freaking Gmail account. Okay, the next podcast is going to be Memorial Day, uh, the 29th. I am actually off. Um, if not, it'll be the Tuesdays, depending on what the wife decides to do. Uh, we have, um, I'm off like at noon on Friday, and I'm off for th- the whole weekend and we're going to go junking, fishing, take the dogs to the lake, barbecue some meat. It's going to be a nice weekend and on Memorial Day, we're going to celebrate the day as it's supposed to be and go to a cemetery and pay our respect. Um, That's what it's about, not about the barbecue. So we always have a barbecue before the actual day. Um, So remember those PC political stuff and the endless gnashing of teeth by the resistance? We can get a little distracted and miss the most important things standing right in front of us. That is our family, friend, and people we love. Life is pretty damn good, and it goes, by the way, too fast. So hit pause on this crap and enjoy those special people in your life before it's too late. Going to be back into some politics next week and hit some totally different subjects. Want to get off the third rails of abortion, transgender, all that crap, and mix the show up a little bit. But I want each day going forward to be something other than politics. So for those that join the show for the political angle, you're still going to get in the beginning. And each each show I'll get at least one segment. But I want to start having a little fun because I think we're all getting a little burned out, which could also be the reason why less people are listening to the podcast, including to me. I don't listen to my podcast as much anymore because it just seems repeating over and over Hate, discontent, and gnashing of teeth, and general bummernism, which is not a word, but I just made it up. So I hope you, uh, once again, take the time to send an email to foppodcast at gmail.com. Give me some ideas for a show or things you'd like to listen to. Um, we're going to start spreading our wings and get to some other subjects and do some researching and put out some good stuff. And make sure you're checking the doggone uh, blog. I'm going to keep blogging. Blogging's fun. Go back to that poetry section. It's good sometimes to put your thoughts into prose. So, until then, my friends, have a great rest of the week, a great weekend. Enjoy your family and friends, and thanks for Let listening. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.